Here we go, Draft Knicks. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Draft Nation podcast. My name is Joe 412, and I will, as always, be your host for the next 30 minutes. Before we begin, I want to thank our sponsor, iHeartRadio, where you can find all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free, all the time, as you know. Uh, for those of you who have not listened to our show in the past, Draft Nation is a national e-magazine, uh, and we hyper-focus on all four major sports and their professional drafts. So if you like things like player scouting or you like mock drafts, you like talking about your team's free agency or salary cap provisions that are going to hurt or hinder or help your team next year, and, of course, any of your favorite teams that we want to talk about, uh, this is the place for that. So with me tonight, we have a former NFL and University of Virginia wide receiver, Billy McMullen. Billy, welcome to Draft Nation, and are you ready to go on the clock? Let's rock and roll, Joe. All right, my friend. Well, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your football experience. Yeah, so I'm a Richmond, Virginia guy. Um, I was uh, I always tell the story of I was a late bloomer. So I was a guy that would bring the ball to the, uh, the playground, and I would be the last one to get picked. And so that, that, that created a nice little edge on my shoulder that I wanted to get better and better in the neighborhood that I grew up in. So, yeah, around uh, my junior, senior year, I got really, really good, and um, I had a chance to get some uh, – a lot of teams paying interest, you know, in terms of like ACC, Big, Big Ten, Big East. But back then it was Big East. Um, I even had some SEC teams paying attention, like a Kentucky and uh, some of the uh, the volunteers. But – Back then, I the recruitment was totally different. So I, um, you know, I, me and my father, we sort of got our tape out late. Most of the scholarships were gone, and uh, and I still was in a, on on a, um, a track to get my um, get my SAT scores. So um, I went to Fort Union Military Academy, one of the pre- most prestigious, uh, I would say, uh, prep schools or post grad schools in the uh, country. I mean, we got about, and I went post grad, and we have about maybe. I don't even want to do the number wrong, but it has to be like 100, 120 guys that have gone to the NFL, from Benetesta Verde to Mike Quick to – Yeah, yeah, we got a lot of guys. A lot of first-rounders came out of there. There's a lot of guys. As a matter of fact, I did an event with the commanders today, and I ran into Josh Morgan. He's a forking guy. I didn't even know about it. I played at Virginia Tech and with the 49ers and uh, back then the Redskins. But, yeah, so I went there, did really well. Um, Love the school. John Schumann, Coach White. Did some big things for me. Got me into uh, helping me to get things straight. And uh, last week of uh, recruitment, um, which was a wonderful thing, uh, uh, UVA came on board. And the funny thing about it is, you know, the coaches and some of the players were pushing UVA to say, hey, this is one of the better receivers, better receivers we've seen in a long time, you know, had some really good hands. And I had some schools like Rutgers and Hostroff and uh, Tennessee Chattanooga, uh, what was the uh, other team? It was the team in the, uh, the, the MEAC. But I had some other teams that liked that liked uh, liked me. But it was like, hey, I was like, I, I think I'm a big time player. And so um, UVA came in the picture like really late because um, one of their receivers decommitted. Um, guy named, I think his name was Andre Harrison. Um, he played with Michael Vick, so he decommitted and went to Tech, and they picked me up. And I I did I never looked back, and I went. <laughs> I went in there with a big, big chip on my shoulder. Like I'm gonna let you guys know that you should have, you know, recruited me earlier. So had a great time there, man. Had a lot of great players to play at UV at that time. So I got, and and you can stop me at any time, Joe. But I got there. Well, let's uh, let's 90. let's talk about your time at, at UVA because I think that's interesting. Yeah, good, yeah. I mean, you had a chance to represent your home state as a guy from Richmond. What was your time like there? I mean, was when you got there, was it the was it the oh, look? You did this in the days where there wasn't a transfer portal, uh, there wasn't a free transfer. Uh, right. Coaches could leave, but players couldn't. You had to sit out a year if you if you left. I mean, things have changed dramatically to benefit the players. But mm-hmm. you know, it sounds to me like you fell in love with UVA and it was the right school in the right place, and you were representing your home state there. I mean, was it like that for you? I mean, let, let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty cool because. It, uh, at first, I, you know, Tech was probably a bigger name to me coming out of high school, but I, I sort of got privy to uh, UVA during my fourth union days, and um, I had a chance to go up there and visit the school, and I sort of fell in love. But at that time, they really weren't, weren't recruiting me. Um, but when I did get up there, I just, like, fell in love with the process. Uh, George Wells already had a, um, you know, he built a legacy there. We had some really good players, uh, Thomas Jones being one who that year, and was it, 99, 
he was up for the Heisman with Peter Warwick and uh, some other guys, and he uh, went, I think, top five, top six in the NFL draft that year in 99. Uh, 2000 draft, I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, it was a wonderful time. And I, I, I sort of fit in like a, 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 a peg, you know. It just it, I, fell in, I fell in love with the process. I fell in love with the school, and I saw an opportunity uh, opportunity for me to play early, and I did. So I played, you know, as a freshman and uh, went straight through. But I was sort of prepped coming from uh, uh, Fort Union to do that. And they and they gave me some opportunities. I mean, they were actually throwing me the ball. Uh, Dan Ellis, David Rivers, those are the quarterbacks that were there at that time. So they gave me some great opportunities. And like I said, I just took advantage of them as a, a young freshman. Well, you know, this show is it, – it, it's about prospects in the draft process. Many of our listeners enjoy hearing stories about how people transition to the league. Uh, and it sounds to me like, you know, you had a great time at UVA. It was the right fit for you at the right time. Things worked out. Um, but let's talk about your, you know, transition to the NFL. I mean, what was your combine experience like? What was your pro day experience like? Did you, I've had people on here that didn't have either one of those that, that were just free. Like mm-hmm. our mutual friend, Mark Parson, great guy. You know, he, right, he had yeah. a situation where, yeah, like, you know, he found his way on a, uh, on an NFL team and, uh, you know, by, by hook or by crook uh, and didn't have a combine invite. But what was your – what was the process for you like? Because, I mean, you went – if memory serves me, you were a third-round guy. So I'm, I'm presuming that – okay, yeah, yeah. So you um, – you know, so did you go through these processes? What were they like for you? Uh, and, you know, what was it like to go through that process? Was it – was it like a? I, I kind of feel like sometimes it had to be more like a, like you, you were auditioning for a TV show and people were oh, yeah, picking sure. people that way. Yeah, but what, what was it, it like for you? It was uh, so so. You know, I did really well at UVA. I really I really caught fire uh, my third year, which I was about to go. I was All American that year. I was about to like leave that year, but I wanted to win. We didn't do too well as a team, but my fourth year was a solid year for me. Um, and my experience going into the draft because. Um, I got hurt my the last game of the, the season, our bowl game against uh, West Virginia. Uh, that's when Pac-Man Jones was there, and I dislocated my elbow. So my experience was like a little nerve-wracking. So what I had to do is I had to I had to rehab. I dislocated my elbow, so I had to rehab. So I sort of went down to uh, uh, this is New Orleans. This is back when one of the most one of the better he still is one of the better speed trainer guys is uh, Tom Shaw. That in New Orleans, and we had a bunch of guys that went in the draft. I mean, we had uh, Ike Taylor. He was down there. Uh, we had uh, – what's the running back that came from Penn State that year? Um, Larry Larry Johnson was down there. So we had a lot of a lot of studs down there. We were just out there working out and training. And, you know, we were down there for like two or three months just training and prepping. And I, my, my training was a little different because I was still injured. So I could run, but I couldn't do anything else. You know, as a young man, you still try to get some catching in. But I had to rehab, so I had to rehab. And – at that time, just going through the whole draft process, you have, you know, you you coming from school. You, the guys normally first go to the the uh, the bowl games or the senior bowl games. So I was an invite to the senior bowl. I couldn't play in it. It was Mobile, Alabama, I think. So I couldn't play in it. So, but I went out there, shook some hands with some of the scouts, and they would sort of just, you know, give me insight of what they were looking at and talking about from first to third based on my 40. And uh, so that was – it was a little pressure, but you're like, okay, I got to figure out how to run a fast forty. <laughs> um, but the um, so I, I trained there, and then the actual combine itself, uh, like that's a whole podcast in itself, is is a really weird experience. It's like a hurry up and go type experience, and it's like it's almost like a meat packing, <laughs> a meat packing uh, uh, show. You know, who has the bigger muscles, who's faster. Who can jump the highest? And you know, the the whole building is freezing cold. I don't know why they do that like that. But it's cold. Um, and I at that time, like once again, I still was hurt, so I didn't I didn't um, run, but I did everything else. I didn't lift weights either. But I, I saw the whole process. You get a chance to go ahead. No, go ahead. Just finish your thought. Oh yeah, yeah. You had a chance to sit down with some of the coaches, and at that time, so I got drafted to Philly. At that time, I had a chance to sit with Philly uh, and about four or five other school, uh, teams, and I think I made a pretty good impression on Philly. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because there is obviously the physical component to what you do at these tryouts, whether it is a senior bowl or shrine bowl or you get to the combine or your pro days. I mean, but as an athlete, that also has to be 
kind of like second nature to you. What is the mental aspect of that like when you have to sit down across from these coaches? We've seen the interviews. I mean, we were, you know, I'll give you an example. We were out in uh, uh, Indianapolis last year for the for the combine doing our scouting mm-hmm. for the magazine. And, you know, nowadays they, there were 30,000 fans in those stadium in that in, mm-hmm. in Lucas Oil Stadium last year. Uh, and it's flooded. It's no longer private. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. sure you go and do your interviews, but the, the process is regimented and the mental aspect has got to be just as demanding for you guys as the physical aspect. Which one did you prefer? Did you not? I, look, I know you were hurt, uh, so you couldn't do some of the drills and things like that. But would it, was it better for you to, to just do the physical stuff or, or were these guys coming in hot and heavy? You know, and and uh, trying to put your page in a corner, see how you'd react to their their pressure tactics yeah. and things like that. Yeah, too. Or do you that. have a funny all story all about any of the coaching? Good. Yeah, all of the above. They put a lot. It's a lot of. It's a lot of pressure. To, it's the way it's designed, I think, it's a pressure weekend anyway. I mean, they want to see who who can focus, who can perform under that type of pressure. And I'm sort of glad that they do allow um, fans in there now. That's a that's a whole level of energy for a guy that's looking to run the, you know, the best time of his life. So. You know, it's the fans bring that type of atmosphere. But back when I was there, that was it was a quiet as a mouse. You just saw coaches in the stands and scouts and some of the decision makers. But yeah, they they have the of course the, the Wonderlic test. They have the interview with the coaches. Um, the interview with the coaches is probably the best part I thought in terms of the mental part because you're just talking. Um, and at that time, they sort of ask you questions like, you know. They know what they've done all of their homework. That's one of the things the NFL do. They do a lot of their homework. So they sort of know the offense you come from. They know how you play. They know sort of your better routes and sort of your better uh, games. And so, you know, I can, I, for whatever reason, I can remember the Philly interview the best. But we, we were just talking about the West Coast offense because that's what I grew up in at UVA. Uh, my last two years was the West Coast offense, and that's what Philly ran with Donovan McNabb at that point. And so I was just talking from a perspective of I understood the offense, and they, I think they were pretty impressed that I understood where and how to make the offense go. And then, you know, I think some of the guys that do better in the interviews, they just, you know, basically being yourself. It's like, hey, man, it's, either they're going to pick me or they don't. <laughs> so we, right. we actually had a couple laughs in that room, which I think loosened them up, and they thought, hey, this guy would be good for our locker room. Um, but it is, like I said, it's pressure. I would rather I, I would have rather done the whole thing. Um, just, you know, but I think I made such a good impression that they, when they came to my pro day, um, I had about 25, 26 teams at the pro day. And then after the pro day, uh, Philly came back with uh, David Cully, Coach Cully, and he did a one-on-one workout. And I had an idea. I was like, I think they really like me. I just don't know when they're going to pick me. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty cool process in the, at the combine, but it was a, it, it's a very nerve-wracking day. And you got to find a way to mentally stay cool and calm and just be ready because it's so it's like it's a lot of like lunch line type feel. It's like all right, who's up next? And you're like, how do you stay warm? How do you stay locked in? How do you stay focused? Um, so yeah, when you're waiting your turn, I think guys are that science down a little bit more too. What, what, what do you so think? That's cool. I said it, it's almost like you, you know, how do you stay focused uh, when you're just waiting to be the next man up, right? It's like you just it, that's got to be grueling. Yeah, it is. I mean, you, once again, it's like I look at I look at some of the things I've done over the course of my career, and I'm like, how the heck did I do that? You're just in a different mindset. So you look back on a, a you know the combine, and I came out with some of the studs, man. Some of the guys that's gonna be Hall of Famers. Um, Andre Johnson was there, and I couldn't believe how that was a big receiver. I was like two fifteen, he was two thirty five, and he was running four threes. I was a, I was more like a four or five guy. And uh, I was like, well, well we got, I got some competition here. But it was cool to see how guys went about their business. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm sure everybody trains different. Everybody has a different approach to it. But let's fast forward a little bit. What was it mm-hmm. like to get that call uh, when you knew you were drafted, the pressure was off, you had done everything you could do, and you reached the final level, right? It's like, what, what was that like when you when you got that call and you signed that first contract? Oh, man, it was it was pretty cool. Like, uh, it was actually really, really cool. I'm sort of downplaying it. So that was 2003, and that's when they had all three rounds the first day. So it was a very long day. And, you know, I'm grateful that I got called, but it was a very long, long day. You know, the first round takes about almost two hours. So, and I was projected first through third. Um, I didn't run the best 40, so I, I figured I'd fall to the second or third. Um, so 
got the so I think at this point my, my I was at my mom my mom my mother and father's house and the family was over there and my friends over there all close friends and family and we're watching the drive you know cooking and having fun guys outside throwing the football and by the second or third round I sort of I wanted to sort of get away I was like oh my gosh man I'm slipping it's just like slipping away um, and I think I went outside and I just got called up my, my my father came out we just started talking a little bit and. And I never was at the point where I was like, ah, oh, I feel terrible right now. It was just like, let's hurry up and get this thing done. So I was in the house, and I think I was sort of leaning over my mom at that point. We were having a conversation, and she was sitting at the table, and the phone rang. And I was like, you know, everybody be quiet. You know, this is a, it looks like a 215, it was a 215 number. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't equate 215 to Philly. So I pick it up, and it was uh, Coach Reed. And, you know, he has a very distinct voice, you know, a hearty, hefty voice. And yeah. I know people are screaming in the background, I'm like, y'all should be quiet. And he's like, hey, Billy, but, you know, you're ready to be an eagle? I said, am I ready to be an eagle? I wanted you to call me, like, two rounds ago. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was pretty cool because, uh, you know, um, he said, you know, he said a couple of things, some things I don't remember. And I was just so excited to have the conversation. I really don't remember, but I just know, you know, he had, he had picked me third round. I think it was a nine. I was a 96 pick, and my brother uh, Angelo Crowell to play the UVA with me. He was a 95th pick. He went to Buffalo, so we went back to back. So oh, my, oh my goodness! How great yeah, it was! Is pretty that? cool, man. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That is an excellent, excellent story. I don't know story. if I was 95 and he was 96, but I know we went back to back. And so after that, everybody cool. screaming, the family screaming. You know, it was like a surreal moment. And uh, you know, uh, I had to. It was almost like waking up from a dream. So when I went up to. Uh, to the to I think the first OTA because uh, uh, it was the first OTA the first rookie minicamp I walked up and this is right when they 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 made the the, uh, the new stadium so the new stadium new facilities everything was really nice and I was like wow man I'm in the NFL I cannot believe this and it was like waking up from a dream and you walk into the locker room and everything Philly the Eagles did was just top notch I mean from facilities to of course, the coaches and the back office and the executive team, it was just top-notch. And um, I went in there, and I believe I signed my contract. So I didn't sign my contract until, like, right before the third OTAs, I think. I, can't, I think that's when I signed it. So, yeah, it was because uh, my agent was still working out the details and everything. But um, it was a very surreal moment. And you see all the guys come in for the camps. Like, oh, I see them playing on TV. I see, you know. You know, last last um, you know, um, last year. I see. You know, one of the yeah. cool, one of the cool things too is where I, when I connected with uh, the team before at the uh, interview in, at the combine, I think they were impressed that I watched the team, and I was talking about how Corey Detmer had got dislocated his elbow in the field and how he was, you know, acting on the field, and they all thought it was funny. I was like, yeah, why did he, <laughs> why did he do that like that? He could have, you know, been a little tougher, but. Yeah, it was a surreal moment walking in that locker room. Uh, well, you know, that, that's a nice segue to my next question. It sounds to me like, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, shock and awe when you walk into that locker room for the first time. But overall, during your experience in the NFL, do you what surprised you of, of the most about your time in the NFL? I mean, something maybe you didn't expect in that transition. What, what, what would that be? The transition, I think, the biggest thing I real quickly realized is the speed of the game. The game was super fast. Everybody, when I say everybody, everybody was fast. D linemen could run as fast as you could the first five, six yards. Amazing. Um, and you and you quickly notice that everybody's good too. So you in college, you may have there's a big drop off from maybe the second team or the third team, huge drop off. NFL knows there's no real drop-off of athletes, you know, and, and football players. But, you know, everybody's fast, super intense, and then the way guys went about their business as, as professionals. And, um, you know, one of the biggest things I had to learn was how to play fast and make quicker decisions while playing fast. Um, and just like I said, it's just the speed of the game was a, was a, was the biggest piece. And how, how big people were, man. It's like I'm a, I was a big guy for a receiver. These guys are big, man. These, these linemen are these linebackers are just as fast as I am. And they're two sixty, two fifty. And I I never forget playing the first uh, I think it's the second first preseason game against the uh Steelers. And this is back when the linebackers were linebackers. 
They weren't like the strong safety looking linebackers. They were. You remember the Steelers linebackers back then? Uh, oh yeah, the Levon he, Kirklands of the world. Yeah, Chad man. Brown. I mean, he's got yeah. Huge, huge, and that they put and uh, coach put me in for the first play, and and I played a lot of slot. And my first route was to run across the field underneath these linebackers. Oh, no. I'm like, yeah, there's a coach you tripping. But uh, yeah, I think that was <laughs> the biggest shock. Is like how intense it was, how fast it was, and how. And then how smart guys were. They were guys were just really smart, could break down a play. And you know, I had a, I had a, we had a, actually a great team in Philly. A lot of guys that were smart, veterans: Troy Vincent, Brian Dawkins, Bobby Taylor, Donovan McNabb. Uh, we had um, Todd Pinkston as receiver, James Thrash. Yeah, we had a heck of an offensive line. I mean, we just had a squad, um, and that's why we won so much. But um, it was a, it was a great experience. Yeah, so, look, you've had enormous success while playing the game. There's no no doubt about that. Is there a favorite mm-hmm. moment at either level, like college or pro? What, if you had a favorite moment, if you want to relive that moment, what would that be? Uh, I'll give you two. So I, I'll, pick the, I'll pick college and I'll say the pros. I think college was uh, um, probably – my junior, let's say my junior year. I, it was really we had some really quick uh, dope moments in college, but I think the, the junior year when we beat Clemson down in Death Valley on a last second fade to the back of the end zone to me. Yeah, I thought it was pretty oh, cool, cool, man, because that 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 crowd was a crazy crowd, man. Yeah, so, you could shut them up. <laughs> yeah, they were they were quiet as mouse, and you know, but it was a cool moment that they threw me that ball. In the pros, I think it was. Um, I think it was going to the Super Bowl, like when we beat the uh, Falcons. We beat the Falcons, and that game was so. It was two thousand five, four. The game was so cold, man. We were out there freezing, and you remember they they're a dome team, so that gave us a great advantage. And um, I think we did a heck of a job bottling uh, Vic up on defense and offense. We you know we did. I think we were very steady. But yeah, I think after winning that game, that was like really cool. That wow, you know, my, my second year in the NFL, and we're we're going to the, uh, the Super Bowl. So it was it was awesome. Well, look, Billy, we're getting to that point in our show where we I do a lightning round with all of our guests, and I've got four or five mm-hmm. questions I'm going to throw at you, and you know, try to you know throw you off guard with some of them, but also have some fun with them. So I uh, hope you're ready for you ready to do a lightning round with us. Let's do it, buddy. All right, man. So the first one is a little bit of a softball. I'm not going to come at you hard and heavy that quickly. But uh, if you could play a different sport uh, other than football, uh, professionally, I mean, uh, what would that sport be and why? Great question. Um, I guess it would have been basketball. I never really dove heavy into basketball, but I had some – I think I had some point guard skills. I was 6'4". I would probably been a smaller point guard in the NBA right now, but I was 6'4", and I, I enjoyed playmaking. But I never really worked on my skills. It was, everything was just athleticism. But my my father was a great basketball player. But yeah, it would be basketball just because I, 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 it'd been cool to play point guard on a on a professional. Cool. League. Okay. And UVA doesn't have a bad basketball team either, by the way. So Not I at think all. You would have fit in pretty, pretty pretty well there. All right. So which player, and it doesn't matter, college or pro, was it the hardest to beat one on one? Oh, um, shoot, man. Uh, I would say pros. I mean, we had um, – we were stacked to the brim on our team. We had Troy Vincent. Bobby Taylor was my height, probably at that time my weight. We had Lito Shepard. We had uh, Sheldon Brown. And we had some younger guys like Rod. Um, I would say they – they they on a pro level, it was them. On a college level, <laughs> it was uh, my freshman year against Florida State. It was Mario Edwards. So that's the first oh, time I've ever seen a, uh, I was the first time I've ever seen a cornerback that big and that physical. I did I was not ready for it because I didn't study film that, that well as a freshman. I I walked out the huddle. I was like, why is this safety following me over here? And it was a freaking uh, Mario Edwards and um, super athletic. So yeah, that was probably the, as a freshman the hardest guy I went up against. So. Did you have a player you dreamed about beating when you were a kid and never got a chance to meet them on the field? You know, like maybe they're at the end of your, their career and uh, and you were playing on the, the, the playground or the, you know, the school field pretending that you were beating them and all of a sudden you line up against them on the other side? You mean like beating them like one-on-one playing against them? Yeah. 
Uh, I wouldn't say a, it wasn't necessarily a player. It, it, it normally was probably was a team. Like you know, uh, you know, I was a Forty ers fan. Well, I, I jumped around a bit. Forty ers fan, Lions fan, because Barry they had Barry Sims, and then of course being so close to DC, I cheered for the Skins too. But it was more so like I was you know playing in the Super Bowl against a team and catching the last pass. But I never had a player in my mind like oh, yeah I want to go against him. You know that was never the case. I got you. I got you. So here's one out of the blue. Do you have, and it doesn't have to be a Billy McMullen highlight, but do you have a favorite football highlight of all time? You mentioned Barry Sanders. You mentioned San Francisco. Mm, both, both Sanders and San Francisco have plenty of highlights to talk about. Or do you, but it could be one of yours. I mean, do you have a, was that Clemson one the highlight, your favorite highlight? Or do you, was, was there a classic one that you, you prefer? That's a great question, man. Oh man, you call it a lightning round. I mean, it's so many, it's so many sweet plays that I grew up watching. And you know what it was? You know what it was? I, I, I'll pull this out, man, because it, it. I guess it changed. It changed my life. It was. It was. Let me get this right. Was it Curtis Enos, Penn State? Um, yeah. Two thousand. It had to be. Uh, no, it was two thousand ninety-eight or no ninety. It had to be ninety-six. Ninety-six. So this is when he scored like three touchdowns. I forget who they playing. And if you go back and look at the highlight tape, I mean, he crushed that game. It was his first game of the year. He had three touchdowns, and I, forget, I think it may have been Michigan. But he was one of his last touchdowns. He dove like and stretched out for the end zone. And I'm, you know, I'm a young kid. I'm in, I'm a junior in high school, and I'm like, oh, that was pretty sweet. And so that very next day, we played on Saturday. I I scored like four touchdowns, actually five. One got called back. But I scored four touchdowns and one of my like my third touchdown, I did the exact same thing he did. And I was like, Yeah, that's pretty cool. I you know, Curtis Enos, you know, scoring against a big time you know, college football and I'm out here doing the same thing he's doing, that was pretty cool. So that's, that's probably one cool. of the highlights that that stuck out that that sort of changed me in terms of you know, getting on the uh getting on the map. Gotcha. Well look, I've got one last question before we let you go. Mm-hmm. This is going to be out of the blue. So you're a kid again, and one NFL player runs over to you at the end of the game, all like the Joe Green Coke uh, kid, <laughs> you know, you know, moment, and tosses you his game worn jersey. Whose jersey would that belong to? Mm. Oh man, good question. Um, uh, what age kid? Hey, you're a kid, so it could be anything. It can go back. All right, I, I gotta say, uh, I was a Jerry Rice fan. I was a, uh, you know, Joe Montana fan. I, I, but if, if it was if, if Barry taking his jersey off and throwing it, um, that's that. I went to yeah. the uh, Super Bowl last year, and when I saw him in, a, in, a, in the players' lounge, and you know, had a bunch of guys from all different areas, like Joe Namath, everybody's in there. But when I saw Barry, I was a fanboy. I was like, "Hey, Barry, I gotta get a picture. This is, this is this is freaking Barry Sanders." Mark, Mark, will tell you. I say, "Mark, you gotta take this picture, man. That's freaking Barry Sanders over there." So yeah, if Barry yeah like my brother loves Sanders too. Oh man, that guy. My, my brother has the helmet. He's got the game worn jersey. He's got the autograph. He's got like twenty of his rookie cards. He was his yeah, absolute he, favorite. So I understand. Yeah, he was a so. beast, man. Well, hey, Billy, before we let you off the clock here, tell everyone how they can find you and connect with you potentially on social media or your website. Yeah, just uh, follow me on Billy Max Speaks. That's uh, Instagram. That's normally the main account I use, Billy Max Speaks. Uh, post things about, you know, motivational speaking and just some cool stuff, you know, doing around the NFL and uh, being around some pretty cool folks and, and helping a lot of student athletes so and athletes alike. So that's Billy well, Max cool, man. Well, Speaks. Billy Max Speaks, Instagram. Cool. And, look, big thanks for you to be on. And, again, want to thank our sponsor, iHeartRadio, where you can find all their favorite music, podcasts, and radio all for free all the time. Uh, Bill, thanks again for coming on the show. And for those listening, remember, when Draft Nation, even though we may be off the air, we're always on the clock for you. But tonight we've got a second guest starting at 930, Brad Johnson. I'll get to him in a second. But, Billy, got to let you go. Thank you very much for being on the show tonight. All right. Thanks, man. All right, bud. Talk soon. All right. So those of you that are sticking around for the second half of the show, let me introduce you to a friend of mine named Brad Johnson. And we just got done talking to to a guy that played uh, in the league, uh, and you had a chance to hear a little bit about 
you know, what he did to get there. And part of what Brad does with his company called Edge uh, is they mentor student athletes uh, and they help them develop a winning mindset. And you heard Billy say earlier about how, how much that was important, that mental aspect of the game was important to him, not just on the field, but when he was doing interviews to get drafted in the third round by the Eagles, he went through a gauntlet of teams uh, and how you had to be mentally prepared to answer their questions and how being yourself and being ready to go was important. Well, that's what Brad uh, focuses on. And, and we're going to get in. Look, Brad's a Pittsburgher by birth, and so we'll get into some black and gold comments about Matt Canada a little bit later. And obviously he lives in, in Buffalo now, so you 716ers that want to talk about Josh Allen, we'll get to there too. But I want to spend a little bit more time talking to Brad early on about uh, his company, Edge. Brad, thank you very much for coming on Draft Nation, and, and welcome welcome to the show. Are you ready to go on the clock, my friend? Oh, absolutely. Um, thank you very much for having me on. Well, look, I, I gave you a little bit of an introduction here, but tell everybody what you do at Edge, how you do it, and how they can get a hold of you. Okay, Edge, uh, we call Edge um, Institute for Athletes. Um, we're right now basically an online um, uh, facility, but we uh, – help student athletes develop a elite mindset to overcome things like comparison, negative self-talk, um, so you know, lots of performance and uh, full potential. Uh, we work on giving uh, the tools and skills to create life success on and off the court in the classroom. I mean, as a student athlete, <clears throat> a lot of the deal with uh, the pressures are coming from um, you know, small towns where there's a big fish, in a small pond and you know, moving up to different um, colleges and that they are the small fish in a big pond now. That creates a lot of different pressures and things for them to go through. Um, so we work with them on so there's the framework we kind of have is the, the ten pillars that um, we work towards uh, having a weak mindset so they can grow and um, not stay stagnant compared to having a fixed mindset to where um, you're, you're not willing to learn um, motivation and commitment. I mean, you've got to be committed to play college sports, high school sports. It's, um, you know, the, the talent and competition gets much higher the, the higher up the uh, levels you go. Um well, can I ask you a question there? Because there's, the, there's a few yeah. things in there that I think that, you know, as a show that focuses on drafts, right, that we, we do a lot of mm -hmm. prospects. You know, tonight we had Billy McMullen, former NFLer, on right before you, talking about his, his uh, pro day experience, his draft and NFL combine experience. From someone sitting on your side of the table, someone who's there to help train these athletes mentally uh, for what they're, they're going to, to, to face, what, what, what are some of those obstacles that you run into all the time? Like if I were, if our listeners here love this stuff and many of their kids are going through this right now, what, what pieces of advice can you give to them that you know that they're going to hit? And here's a couple of obstacles and this is how you get around them. Maybe do a little like free, free training session here for, uh, for the, for the parents that are listening and, and the coaches that are listening tonight. Oh, absolutely. It's actually one of the more interesting things that we run into is that, Athletes in high school, we've got some ninth graders in the group, and then we're also working with SEC baseball players, uh, some uh, Notre Dame volleyball players and such. And everybody, it, it, the pattern of issues actually stays the same. It's a lot of negative self-talk, um, getting down on yourself after a bad play, um, um trying to jump back here to <clears throat> um, I'm just drawing a blank here. <laughs> well, no, but, well, like, is there a state of mind issue that you run into a lot? Of, I, you know, like I, I played through college, right? And, and that's where it ended for me, you know, and there was a jump up in the competition where you see um, where at once, like you said, you were big fish, small pond. Uh, and all of a sudden you get to the, you get to the big pond and everybody's as good as you. Uh, yeah. And it's like, how do you, how do you overcome those kind of things where it's like, you're used to always being dominant and now you might be one of the masses. 
how do you how do you advise a a student athlete to prepare themselves for that kind of thing and or how do you advise a student athlete one of the challenges i had is i blew out a uh, an achilles tendon and it just takes forever to heal and uh back then it wasn't we weren't back in 4 months we weren't back until it was a year right you were just sitting out you weren't doing anything until that tendon healed from an injury perspective how do you teach patients to to, to kids that are have been mostly invulnerable uh, those lives. I think those are the two things I wanted to ask you. So I'm asking them now. So like, how, how do you, how do you go from that big fish, small pond competition? Are you ready to, to, to take that next step? And then how do you, how do you coach them to recover from an injury? Well, you've got to trust the process. All, at that level, all the coaches and the medical staff have the processes and workouts and um, systems to get you from injured back onto the field, the court, the ice, um, whatever your sport you're on. So you've got to just remove yourself from the outcome, trust the process, um, and take the little wins day by day as you heal, get better, um, get more movement back, get your skills back. <clears throat> and even when, you know, going back to the big fish, small pond, getting the higher um, um, level of the competition, it's the same thing. The coaches are you're working on the fundamentals. Go back to Kobe Bryant. He would go into practice at 4 o'clock in the morning and work on the fundamentals. Uh, one thing we try to we work on and try to teach our, our student athletes is um, half, of, half of fundamentals is mental. You're going back and doing simple footwork. Um, base, maintaining mechanics when you're throwing, um, just keeping your eye on the ball, getting the get the barrel of the bat on the ball, following your um, your steps in for your swings and watching the pitches come in. And even for hockey, you have your certain fundamentals of um, how you skated, where the puck needs to be on your stick, and just maintaining. The simplicity of the game, not trying to make it too complicated. You know, that's a great point, uh, in particular for hockey. I mean, there was a – when I was growing up, obviously it was the Mario Lemieux era, and it was the end of the Wayne Gretzky era. And um, I remember Wayne Gretzky once saying a couple of things. I mean, the first was he was asked why he would ride a bike after a game. And he was like, because you never know when the game is going to end. You always need those legs, right? And then the other, the other comment that he made that one of our guests a few weeks ago, Kerry Krug, who, who does uh, professional, you know, athlete performance stuff for NHL guys and is also a coach, a former player himself, you know, he said, you know, Wayne Gretzky said, practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. And I think your, your comments about, the you know the working on those fundamentals at 4 a.m. so that you can be the best is because you've ingrained those fundamentals into yourself as part of that and that fundamental is a mental aspect of the game. I find that really interesting and I think you're you're, you're point on you're, you're smack dead center uh, on it. I think those are the kind of things that separate you when you when everybody is about the same. There's always going to be someone that stands out and is just you know generational talent. But when everybody else is about the same, it's those things that bring you back and get you those wins. Uh, you know, whether they're, like you said, you're, you're recovering from an injury and getting to a point where, uh, you know, you, that incremental growth back to where you are or in a game, you know, during gameplay or, you know, during a loss and how do you recover from that when you have to go out and play the next day and things like that. I find that really, really interesting. I think you, I think you really did a good job hitting the nail on the head there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like um, going back to the fundamentals and Kobe at 4 a.m., he would have an extra practice in <clears throat> before anybody else walked on the court. So after a year, he had, you know, a couple hundred more practices in before anybody else. And the repetition you get from that is just going to put you light years ahead of anybody else that's supposedly at the same, the same level. So it's um, just the mentality of going out and taking reps and doing – what you know you need to do to get better. So how do you as a company and you as a coach uh, gauge success? Uh, you know, sometimes you're going to see varying levels of it. Some people are going to be night and day different. Other people are going to be incrementally different. Is it, 
if you gauge success, do you grade it out? Is there a, a system by which you give metrics to the people that sign up with you so that they know that they're getting better at where they are? How do, you, how do you gauge it, and how do you share that information with them to show them that they're getting better at certain things? So a lot of what we do is open discussion and back and forth with the athletes, um, talk to them about their problems, talk to them about what they're seeing, um, just a, a general wellness. And we just, they can generally feel better after we've worked with them quite a while. Um, <clears throat> just they've opened up. Um, we, we had one one athlete that um, he's now he moved on from a, jo, a, jo, uh, like a junior college to a major university, and <clears throat> he's um, just mentality and attitude is so much better than what it was before. He's just really lit up. Um, so, so we don't have like any sort of data or anything like that that we have numbers on, a more of an eye test, a field test, um, that brings the athletes along. Now, do you align yourself with, you know, schools? Um, or is your process, you know, are you out there recruiting players that you think can make better? Uh, how how do you bring people into your classes, and you know how, you know is or is it sort of a mixture of both? Um, it's kind of a mixture of both. Um, our head coach Sean French is really close to uh, a number of schools and institutions down in uh, the Fort Myers area in Florida, to where um, what I've done a lot of is just reaching out, um, explaining what we do in. As soon as, as soon as we bring people in, we'll, we'll let them uh, click the Zoom link, and they'll like what we do, and they sign up for the weekly weekly calls that we do. And then we also do offer one-on-one coaching. Um, if, if, How do you deal uh, with someone? Just, oh, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Oh, okay. Finish your thought there. I apologize. No, we offer one-on-one coaching to anybody who would, would be interested. And let's talk a little bit about the one-on-one coaching for a second, because you mentioned a uh, term a little earlier that I don't want to skip over because I think it's something that's become more and more prevalent. We've seen guys take off a year to recover from, you know, uh, the mental part of the game. You mentioned mental wellness. Uh, We've even seen athletes commit suicide and try to commit suicide, things like that when they're unable to do that. Have you, how do you deal with a student that's come to you that you've identified that might have, you know, a mental wellness issue is, are there classes, are there coaching? I mean, how do you, it, it, do you work alongside, um, you know, uh, professionals that you bring in to help them get over that? Or, or, you know, is it something that you guys have on staff? How does that work for you guys internal? Um, from the short time that I have been working with uh, the group, I have watching about having to deal with that. Um, if we did run into an athlete that was having that some sort of problem, we would bring in a counselor who would contact um, someone at their school or their parents. We have relationships with all the athletes' parents. Um, if we felt that something was a concern, we would definitely bring somebody in that um, would be closer to the athletes than ourselves. Yeah, you know, I, I know that's changed in the last, in particular, the last five years, but over the last 10, I mean, you know, in in my era, and I'm guessing your era too, it was like, hey, rub some dirt in it, get up, walk it off kind of thing. And, and they, they didn't care. You got to be mentally tough. And and now that I think that there's been proper diagnosis and studies uh, on that stuff, I think that that's a big part of not just a culture shift, but, but a culture shift within the game space. Uh, and you see, you know, there are teams that bring in, uh, wellness coaches just to get people in the right spaces, you know, whether that's, you know, I've seen hypnosis, I've seen, you know, group therapies, I've seen a lot of these things that are out there that even train you to think that you're going to win, you're going to succeed. And it's almost like a mantra uh, that folks go through. Do you have coaches that come in and do that for you for your team's perspective where they, where they get up and have these, you know, like these, like these group sessions where they're talking like a sports psychologist would. Uh, we don't have we don't have a uh, sports psychologist, but we do have an NLP practitioner. Um, she works with um, timeline therapy, working on going to be working on some hypnosis, um, neuro linguistics processing, and all. 
So we do have Yeah, that's um, that's okay. pretty cool. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't yeah, interrupt you there. That, Go ahead. Finish. finish. Oh, that's, that's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, what you do there, it's a lot of some, it's kind of interesting how the mindset training I have gone through mirrors a lot of the neuro-linguistics side of things where, um, you know, everything starts in your mind and then eventually works its way out into reality. And it's just, there's a lot of looking at things differently like that. Like, I think that, um, you know, so growing up, it was you know, just, just tough it out and there's more of a, um, more of the mental side to it and the emotional side to it than there ever was before. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit here, uh, and and I'm going to start. I'm going to put you on the spot, and I hope you don't mind a little bit. Um, so obviously, I know you bleed black and gold just like I do. You're a former Pittsburgher, but you're in Buffalo, and I'm certain that you can't avoid watching some of those Buffalo teams up there, and in particular Josh Allen. And I mentioned Josh Allen uh, for two reasons. One is I think a lot of people these days are comparing him to a very young Ben Roethlisberger. He's got the size. Ben was very mobile as a younger quarterback, extends plays, has a cannon for an arm. Um, You know, Josh has had an okay year, but not a Super Bowl caliber year just yet. I mean, you as as a fan, can you divorce yourself from being a fan and put yourself back in sort of like an edge and say this is what I would tell him to maybe coach him to do a little bit better or, or you know, improve his game. But also as, as a fan, you know, are you, what's it like to watch a young Ben Roethlisberger out there every week, uh, in some cases dominating teams? He's got to be, uh, you know, a, a fan favorite locally. And I know that, uh, you know, Buffalo is looking for the, that savior to take him to the promised land. But finally, is, is Josh Allen the guy? I think he is. He actually, if you look at his play this year, it's been a little bit up and down, but he has that that bit of magic that Ben had that short that short memory. And what I mean by that is, um, I don't know how many times I remember watching Ben throw an intercept, interception, walk off to the sideline, shaking his head, clap his hands, then come out in the next you know the next series and throw the same pass with the same amount of fire on it, you have uh, Heinz Ward grab it running in the end zone. Um, you need to have that short memory and be able to, like I said before, trust your process, go through your reads, know what you did wrong on the last one, and make the proper correction so it doesn't happen again. Josh Allen up, up here, he is, it's, it's interesting because he has the most interceptions in the league but he also has the most touchdowns in the league. So he's not afraid to he'll, he'll get picked off and then come back and do the same play, do it, you know, fake the DB out or whatever he needs to do, get the receiver and get the touchdown out of it. So it's just well, having you know, that, that short that... memory. It's just having that yeah, short sure. memory and be able to come back to um, your process and just trusting what you've done and the work you've put in to make sure you know you're going to be successful with that. Yeah, you know, I, I, there are guys out there that just thrive as gunslingers, right? They like the Wild West. Brett uh, Favre comes to mind when I think of that. And it doesn't matter how many interceptions they throw because they're also going to throw five touchdowns, right? And, and, and Josh Allen strikes me as that kind of guy. But he also strikes me like Ben. Ben in the beginning – had a lot of those same sort of hiccups where it was like, you know, uh, you know, they haven't taken the reins off of me yet, but I've got this cannon of an arm and just let me unleash it. And then I'll learn to, to, to control it. And Josh is in that transition period where he's, he's now beyond his first contract. He's settling in. He's a mature NFL player with many years in front of him. Do you see him? I mentioned this before. Do you see him getting the bills to a championship level I mean, is this this is the guy to do it? I mean, I, I think he can, but football is a – the quarterback gets a lot of the uh, notoriety of the team sport. Like, this year, they were trying and ready to actually do that, but they lost half their secondary, and um, Matt Milano was the middle linebacker, so you're, you're going to see a good portion of that side of the ball, and you're playing teams like Kansas City and well, Cincinnati up until losing Burrow. 
it, it was just a whole team effort. But as a quarterback, only she had definitely had to see Josh Allen has what it takes to win the Super Bowl. You know, and I think in that division, too, there, it's a down year, man. I mean, the Patriots are finally down and out. The Jets, with the loss of Aaron Rodgers, has basically made them a one-dimensional team. And then you've got the Miami Dolphins, which they've already gotten one victory at home against, uh, you know, just in front of them. They've just had this, you know, they're like a light switch. Sometimes they're really on, and other times they're really off. Uh, and there's no in-between in there. Do you think they can correct this? And still come back and win the division, or, or is this Miami's to lose? I think they can correct it and come back and win the division. They, they were kind of having the same issues Pittsburgh were having with their offensive coordinator. Um, just wasn't wasn't letting Josh Allen be Josh Allen and what he was able to do. Even just in the middle of the game, there was a um, I saw it on CBS or that you know he, he felt unleashed again. He felt like he could play like he knows how to play. Um, you're talking about having that young player mentality and just looking down the field. That's one thing that we're seeing, we're seeing in Pittsburgh with uh, with uh, Kenny Pickett this year. They are just not letting him rip it. They're not letting him, they're not throwing it down the field more than six or seven yards. And um, he's not, they have, he doesn't, the Steelers have the least amount of turnovers in the league, but that also means they're not risking taking a whole lot of risk with the ball to push it downfield to make the plays. To where I can buff you know you're seeing a lot of that. Great, great point. And as as you mentioned the situation here in Pittsburgh, I know that you're you know, uh an expat here, but the you know, the collective sigh the air out of the Met Canada balloon happened today, finally, with the announcement that they, they relieved him of his offensive coordinator duties. And I think over the, after this last week where they had a, a very winnable game against the Browns, and three weeks ago where they had a very winnable game against Jacksonville, and it was the same plays over and over and over again, and it was like George Pickens on a fade route or not. No George Pickens, no route tree. Or, you know, with Kenny Pickett, it's like, just don't throw it over the middle. We don't want any receptions. And it's like, you know, it's it's time to maybe take the reins off of him. He just played his 16th game. He's just now shed his rookie skin. Uh, and it's time for – now there's no more excuses, right? Canada's gone. Uh, and the city is, you know, there was that embarrassing moment on ESPN a few weeks ago where, you know, during a hockey game, the, the, cans, the fans are chanting, fire Canada. Uh, and I think now that the scapegoat's gone, a lot of these players are going to have to step it up. Deontay Johnson's going to have to catch passes he was dropping. George Pickett's going to have to run more than one route. Kenny Pickett's going to be asked to throw it across the middle, throw it into danger zones, and maybe have a couple of picks. For someone like Kenny Pickett that might have been held back, do you think, as a sports psychology guy, do you think taking the leash off of him and letting him roam free, like you just said, is going to work? Or do you think it's going to backfire on the Steelers? I think we'll find out. It all depends on, you know, his, his skill level. Like, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much of a fear you are if you ever, if you ever gone down to see. Um, when you're attacking the mountain and you're on your toes going, you know, going downhill and have control of it, you want it to go at a certain speed and a certain rhythm. If you're held back for some reason, like say you're boots loose or something like that, you're not going to see it well. You're going to think about it, and you're going to, you know, yard sale down the mountain. Uh, equivalent in hockey, that you're probably <laughs> not, sure. if, you're, if, you're, if you're gripping the stick too tight, you're not you know, too loose, too tight, getting feeling the pressure, you're not going to pass, shoot, do what you need to do like you normally would, start with your overthinking. I think, like I said, this is the time for uh, Kennedy to shine or move on. Let him go at his full speed and see what happens. Um, I was looking at the advanced stats today on ESPN on it, and there's a whole lot of green in the middle of the field that defenses don't have to cover. And I think that can be opened up in a little more downfield and just see what happens. I think he did it in the pit, so there's no reason why he can't do it now. Yeah, and you've got big another big game, back to back division games. They got to go into Cincinnati next week and play the uh, you know a Joe Burrowless uh, Bengals team. So we'll see what happens there. But 
Look, Brad, we're coming to the end of our time here. We only have about five more minutes to go before I have to let you go. Uh, and we do this with every one of our guests. I, I put everybody through a bit of a lightning round. We have some fun with them. I ask some questions and, you know, uh, get away from the serious answers and have a little bit more fun. Are, so are you ready for the lightning round? Shoot it. All right, man. Well, I'm going to start out with a little bit of a softball here. Who is your favorite player to coach through edge? The person, and it doesn't have to be a professional, just anybody that you've coached because you've seen the progress from them. They've learned from your teachings. Which student has been your best and why? Um, I'm kind of new and I've worked a lot with the groups. Um, we have a, a ninth grader out of uh, California that we work with, and just in the short time I've been working with him, he has just um, just you can you can see it everything light up in him, his excitement for the game, his um, just passion, and all that energy. It's it's just infectious to be a part of, be a part of. Cool, cool, cool. Prediction for NFL Rookie of the Year? We, is it CJ? It has to be CJ Stroud, right? Or do you have someone else that's maybe a dark horse? Uh, he, he's who I have. He, I, I was not expecting him to do as well as what he has, and um, it's been a complete surprise to me. But that's who I have right now. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's hard to walk away. He's just done so much with what everybody perceived was so little. But if you look at that team. You know, not only have they brought him on, but they've also really shored up that offensive line, coupled with the the emergence of Nico Collins and the and Tank Dell has just turned it on. Uh, and I think if Damian Pierce could just get his stuff together, they've got an All Pro running back there. And Devin Singletary's been done done pretty well plugging in. And of course, they've got a defensive head coach who I think is really kind of coaching up that that team. I think Houston has has done well, and it's because you know a guy like Stroud can step in and do that. So your favorite NHL team, and why? I have been a Buffalo Sabres fan uh, for the last 20 years after I moved up here. Um, just got bit by the bug of the area, and the whole Ryan Miller, uh, Thomas Vanek, Derek Roy, core years, Jason Pominville, and it was just ridiculously exciting at the time, and it's it's, it's one of those infections that kind of never went away. So that was like post, like Alexander Mogilny, Pat LaFontaine. It was like that next era, guys. Yeah, it was around uh, 02, 03, 04 ish era. Um, it was just, it was real exciting to watch. It's the year they won, the time they won the President's Cup. Um, Ryan Miller was uh, just massively solid in that. It was, a, it was just a whole lot of fun because this area, where I lived at in Buffalo at the time, it was tough riding around neighborhoods because you had to stop for so many street hockey games. It was just nah. It was that's awesome. a great story. That's a great story. So, yeah. final question, lightning round. You've got a magical locker uh, in your locker room at work, and you can go back in time and watch any sports game anywhere from the bench. What game do you go back to? I would go back to the – I'm going to screw up what number it is. It's when the Steelers won the Super Bowl in Arizona where, where um, San Antonio Holmes had the catch. Um, there you go. Um, Harrison had the run back. It was just that, that game being there killed me at a young age. Great answer. That is a great answer. Well, look, Brad, it was great to have you on the show. Uh, welcome back anytime. But before we let you off the clock, tell everybody where they can find you and learn a little bit more about Edge. Uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about Edge, um, check out the Determined Society podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Paranormal Brad. Brad um, my coffee company you didn't get a chance to talk about. And find us at one of those places and we'll be able to uh, get a hold of somebody. Brad, thank you very much for being on Draft Nation and thanks again to our sponsor iHeartRadio tonight where they can find you could find all your favorite music uh, radio and podcasts all for free all the time 
Uh, and remember, while Draft Nation may be off the air, we are always on the clock for you. Brad, thanks again for being a guest. Let's have you on after the Super Bowl. 